At 4ZZZ we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging of the Turbul and Jagera people. We acknowledge that their sovereignty over this land was never ceded. And we stand in solidarity with them. And good morning, comrades, and welcome to another episode of uh, Workers' Power here on a Four Triple Z. I'm Bill, and I'm Dan. Today on our show, uh, we we've got uh, well, we haven't got plenty of workers action because I've got a really really exciting interview that I'm going to play, and it's very long. But it's a very, very good interview. Um, now, and of course, uh, make sure you hang around. We'll still be doing the world-famous Scallywag of the Week. Um, now, we, yes, we got an interview with Alison from uh, Brisbane Labor History Association. Um, and, and it's a very interesting discussion, so we're going to play it in full. First off, uh, as we always do here on Workers' Power, we've got uh, First Nations Workers' Action. And uh, um, the first story here comes from uh, Michael Park uh, from the NITV uh, News. And it's uh, um, it's to do with Santos again. Oh, they bunch of grubs. <sighs> yeah, they're, they're, they're all over the shop. So um, t- t- NT traditional owners caught action delays grass, gas project loan. Tiwi Island and Larikia traditional owners recently launched international legal action against the multi-billion dollar Barossa gas project in the Timor Sea, hundreds of kilometres north of Darwin. The legal bid was lodged on behalf of Jakalarui Tiwi Island clan leaders Francisco Babau and Daniel Mankara in a South Korean court to stop that country's government from pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into the project. The leaders said their people were not properly consulted on the Barossa gas project and have accused the project's current owner, Santos, and its previous owner, Conoco Phillips, of misleading them. The $4.7 billion project includes a pipeline from the Barossa field to Darwin, which the Tiwi Islanders said threatened pristine coastal habitats, especially turtles, which play a central role in Tiwi culture, ceremonies and the local ecotourism industry. Santos did not fully explain their plans to build a gas pipeline along our coast. Santos did not explain any of the risk, said senior Tiwi traditional owner Daniel Mankara. We were told briefly about the pipeline in 2018 by previous owners Conoco, that's it, Conoco Phillips, and we said no to the project. The legal action was an injunction in the Seoul Central District Court under the Korean Civil Execution Act against Kexim and Kaishaw, export credit agencies for the South Korean government. 
Documents released by the Northern Territory Environment Centre, NT, who helped bring the court action, indicate the injunction was successful. Obtained under information requests from the National Assembly member, Jang Hai Yong, the document shows the Credit Expansion Committee had put on hold a loan for around $230 million. A decision that's been welcomed by traditional owner Mari Mankara. It's such a wonderful thing, I mean. We have people that are listening to us from overseas, she said. It's hard enough to be listened to in our country, but to have international support for this, and I know the decision is not final at the moment, even to have this is wonderful. A lot of Tiwi people will be very happy about this decision. Miss Amankara urged South Korean authorities to decline future loan applications for the project. Well, I'd like them to consider what would happen if it was them, if this was happening to them on their land. Would they be so free and easy, you know, lending money if it was their people that were going to be impacted? If further court action is successful, it could prevent the South Korean government from lending more than $964 million to the Barossa gas project, putting the financial viability of the project at risk. The Environmental the Environment Centre, NT, condemned the Barossa project as a carbon factory that would produce more carbon than LNG. Santos said... As is the case for all our projects, we undertake consultation with all key stakeholders where they receive detailed information about the project. (coughs) The company had previously stated it planned to investigate options for carbon-neutral LNPG production through processes such as carbon catcher and storage and carbon credits. Oh, sorry about that. I had a bit of frog in my throat a bit through that story there. Uh, my apologies. Uh, but uh, Santa. Good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, um, where, where, wherever um, the, the fight needs to be taken, it will be taken. So if that's in international courts, so be it. Um, let's get over there and, uh, um, you know, uh, in South Korean courts and stop it there. And so, um, yeah. Isn't it amazing that uh, this bit, the, 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 the line where it says, unless the government owns, loans them the money, it won't be feasible. You That's know? Great. It's, it's <laughs> like, uh, unless the government, um, uh, unless the government uh, loans me some money, my house won't be feasible, you know? Uh, fair income, you know? Like, Bloody dull bludgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corporate dull bludgers, you know? Like... Fair dinkum. Ah, you know, well, Santos has been in the news that, you know, they, they, they're just, they're all out grubs, really, and uh, all, all they want to do is exploit our country and um, First Nations, um, you know, uh, history, um, all just for a bit of profit. Uh, okay, well, now we're going to rip into this uh, interview, so you'll be hearing from me chatting with Alison from the Brisbane Labor History Association. And, um, yeah, well, uh, it it was really, really good, and there's heaps of things to learn from. So, as I said, we're going to uh, play the interview in full, 
So uh, uh, sit back and relax and uh, learn about uh, workers' history here in... Uh, it's, it's very close to me, Engine, but here in Queensland. And, um, yeah, you're, you're on Workers' Power on 4ZZZ. Hello and welcome to a, a Workers' Power. I'm Bill and I'm chatting with Alison Stewart from uh, Brisbane Labor History Association. Uh, hello, Alison. Thank you for coming on to uh, Workers' Power. Oh, hi, Bill. No problem. Happy to be here. Thank you. Could, could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we, we move on? At the moment, um, I'm involved with the Brisbane Labor History Association and I am helping to edit um, their journal, which will hopefully be out in the next few weeks. So I've got an interest in labour history and this particular episode of labour history in Queensland and Brisbane uh, really caught caught my eye um, because of the connection with um, environmentalism. So yeah, that's that's basically where I'm at at the moment. And and you're here to tell us about that interesting environmental struggle from the 1970s, yeah? Yes, yes, it is. Um, an episode which I think is not widely known, uh, but it's an episode that was uh, precedent-setting in terms of unions being involved in uh, taking uh, industrial action to defend um, the environment. And it actually preceded um, the green bans that were imposed by the Builders Labourers Federation in New South Wales, which have become very famous and very well known. So, you know, one of the things that I've wanted to do is to let people know that this took place and it took place in our town. And uh, it, it was to um, the, the beautiful reef. So could you, back in the 70s, what... Was there the awareness in and around the reef? Well, uh, actually, the awareness began to build really in the 1960s. Um, there was increasing concern about destruction of the environment or human activ activity affecting the environment. Um and that was starting to build, not only in Australia, but around the world concerning issues of pollution and, and so on. There was concern about the reef um, and it was sort of related to what was called, you know, sort of vandalism of the reef, which was things like people collecting coral um, and shells and the impacts of, of tourism. Um, but there were environmental groups beginning to be formed in Queensland uh, that had a broader concern. They were concerned, for example, about um, the rainforests in the north being burned and felled. Um, and uh, there was the formation of an organisation which was called the Wilderness Protection Society or the Queensland Wilderness Protection Society. Uh, they became quite concerned about the reef and, and there was an idea sort of floating around about um, protecting the reef, you know, as a, as a national park. 
Um, but I think the thing to say is that at the time, ecology, the science of ecology was very, very, was very new. Um, there was research taking place on the reef, but it was mainly what we would call taxonomy, which was identifying and classifying, um, you know, plants and animals and corals and so on. Uh, an understanding of ecology, which is the interlinking of, you know, elements in the environment, um, was, was very, very new um, at the time. And, and then all of a sudden they, somebody uh, spotted some profit to be made and um, <laughs> uh, uh, things turned, turned south very quickly, I, I would say. Well, what, what happened, the thing that sparked um, intense concern um, about the future of, of the reef was that um, an application had been made to mine coral for limestone on a reef called Ellison Reef, which was off Innisfail. And the limestone was going to be for the benefit of the cane, the sugar industry. And it was going to be something that was going to be added to the soil to improve productivity um, in the cane industry. And this caused enormous alarm, not just because of the potential damage to Ellison Reef, but because environmentalists at the time thought it could create a precedent for, you know, whole scale, you know, mining and, you know, uh, exploration of the reef, you know, for, for resources and, and so on. And the conservationists um, at the time uh, organised to oppose that application in the courts. Um, and this is where that concept of ecology becomes really important because there was a claim made that Ellison Reef was dead, um, that it could be mined without any consequence for any other sort of section of the reef um, and so on. The environmentalists, you know, just were so shocked by this declaration, but they were able to rally some scientists to go and actually study this bit of the reef which was meant to be dead and they found, you know, all manner of life associated with this, you know, with this supposedly dead reef. And it, and they also made an argument about how um, these sort of lumps of, you know, areas of dead reef provided an essential component to the, to the reef as a whole. Anyway, um, they managed to stop this um, application and the mining minister at the time, which was a guy called Ron Cam, um, came out and said that he would oppose um, the application. It caused, it, it generated a lot of publicity about, about the reef and about the potential um, risk um, for, for damage to the reef. So that was the thing that um, really sparked it off. And then it became apparent that the Queensland government had issued a whole bunch of permits or a whole bunch, you know, drawn up a whole bunch of permits to allow um, exploration for oil off the Queensland coast along the Barrier Reef. And it was, that was a shock. They weren't required by law to publicise the fact that they had issued, 
you know, they had issued these permits or they had, you know, drawn up these leases. Whereas with the limestone application, that was publicly announced in the in the in the newspapers. But with oil drilling, it was done behind closed doors, effectively. The public was not informed that this that this had happened. And once news got out about this, then, you know, concern about the reef really, really, really ramped up. Wow, that's that's extraordinary. And uh, how, when you see the map, when you when you see the map of Queensland and the and the outline of the permits, it is it is shocking. You know, even to someone who's you know like me, who's sort of pretty unshockable really these days about about you know um, these sorts of things. Um, it was really shocking to see that this is what they had done. Yeah. So. So that uh, yes, you got a the the, the group got a, a victory in the courts, but uh, yep. got an even greater victory by exposing this in the process. Is that right? Well, one of the guys, uh, there was a guy called John Bust who was an artist um, and an environmental activist who lived in a place called Bingle Bay, um, and he, which is just off Innisfail, and he was a really prominent campaigner, um, you know, for the reef. And he accidentally found mention of these oil permits in a mining company prospectus. And so it was him who really, he raised, um, he raised the alarm that actually these, you know, uh, areas were being made available for oil exploration and then potentially for oil for oil drilling. So yes, um, I think you know one sort of led led to the to the other. But John Bust was was an exceptional um, activist, um, and he played a key role in the Wilderness Protection Society in campaigning against um, oil drilling um, on the reef. Right. So, and 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 the conservation groups and and and, and that back then they, they were like, "Whoa, well, this is huge, bigger than what we first anticipated," and <laughs> and, and, and realized that they that they um, needed a, a you know a bit of help from from the community and workers. And how did they go about that? Do you do you have well? You, um, yeah, it's a it's a um, it's an interesting um, an interesting development. I suppose what happened was um, the Wilderness Protection Society were a fantastic group of activists um, and Judith Wright, who is an eminent Australian poet, was one of the key activists actually involved um, in the Wilderness um, Protection Society. The great thing about the Wilderness Protection Society was that they were uncompromising in their attitude towards protection of the reef. At the time, there were a number of other scientific bodies and environmental groups who thought that actually drilling may be possible in certain sections of the reef. So even some scientists and some scientific bodies, geologists from the university and so on, thought you could cherry pick the reef. Um, but that's where that whole concept of ecology 
and uh, the ecology of the reef came into play. Anyway, the Wilderness Protection Society were uncompromising. They were a fantastic um, group of activists. They were joined by another group of activists called um, the Queensland Littoral Society, L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, which is about coastal regions, which was mainly made up of scientists and and so on. Um, Anyway, they... Uh, they were fantastic campaigners. They wrote letters to the paper, the papers. There was a constant stream of letters in the, in the newspapers uh, making the public aware about the danger to the reef. Uh, they lobbied politicians um, of all, on all sides of, of parliament. They organised petitions. They organised... Um, public opinion polls. So the Gold Coast branch of the Wilderness Protection Society decided to set up an opinion poll at the Gold Coast uh, show uh, and, you know, uh, incredibly got an, an absolutely overwhelming vote in their little opinion poll, their little ballot uh, in opposition to, um, you know, the drilling and, and mining of the reef. So, they had been doing, you know, you know, incredible campaigning. They looked at legal options. And one of the key legal issues that had come up was the fact that the Queensland government had been involved in issuing these permits and, and, and leases when the federal government was meant to be in, in charge of offshore uh, waters. And so they, you know, looked at the potential for a legal challenge. But what became apparent is despite the growing science saying that the reef should be protected as a whole and, you know, for drilling to be opposed until at least there was further scientific study. Um, Anyway, uh, they, you know, this opposition was, was building, but the Queensland government remained absolutely adamant that they were going to proceed uh, with drilling. And um, the the campaigning obviously extended to the union movement. So what happened was this guy called um, John John Bust, who was the activist, had been doing a little bit of uh, work with the unions um, in the background, and he had approached a member, a local member, an Innisfail member of the Amalgamated Engineering Union to present a submission to the ACTU ACTU conference. And this submission was to be published in the Union Journal. The Amalgamated Engineering Union had actually endorsed the campaign to prohibit mining or oil drilling on the Great Barrier Reef. And when the ACTU received the submission from the Amalgamated Engineering Union, Bob Hawke, who was president of the ACTU, had actually given the submission his personal attention and had then sent copies of the submission to both the Prime Minister and the Premier. So this was the beginning of union interest um, and involvement um, in the campaign. The uh, submission is worth reading out if you can you know handle that <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit detailed but it shows you the um the seriousness with which the unions took took the issue 
The concluding passages of the submission were, it is therefore resolved, one, that a total ban on all mining on the reef be immediately declared. Two, that an independent scientific and judicial commission be set up to determine the future of the Great Barrier Reef with the power to co-opt all such international scientific assistance as thought necessary. Three, that the Commonwealth Government be requested to issue an originating summons to the High Court to determine the constitutional issue involved. That relates to whether the state actually had the power to issue those, those permits. Um, four, that a writ be issued against the Queensland Government to prevent its proceeding with the decision to allow Ampol JPEX to drill in Repulse Bay. Five, that a public opinion poll on mining on the reef be conducted at every major centre on the Queensland coast before the general election. Six, that the Barrier Reef be declared a marine national reserve for the benefit and relaxation of the Australian public in no way despoiled by the activities of mining companies. And seven, that a voluntary Australia-wide boycott be called for on any oil or mining company endangering the future of the Great Barrier Reef by mining operations. Um, so this was, you know, this is, you know, really quite a, an incredible um, submission. And I, I forgot to mention that um, despite all of the public opposition uh, to the drilling, despite the science saying don't drill on the reef and protect the reef at the as a whole, the, the Bajelke-Peterson government made an announcement towards the end of 1969 that one of the companies that had been successful in obtaining a permit, which was a company, uh, an operation called Ampol JPEX, would be commencing drilling um, at Repulse Bay, which is just off Mackay, in uh, the plan was for that drilling to commence in October of 1969. And so that was when, you know, things really, you know, really heated up. So the amalgamating, Amalgamated Engineering Union had come up with this submission. The ACTU had sort of taken it on board and it was going to, to be presented, you know, probably to the ACTU Congress. That created the groundwork then for the Transport Workers Union in Queensland uh, to recommend to the Queensland Trades and Labor Council to convene a meeting of all unions affiliated in Queensland to consider a total ban on drilling. Um, at that time, the main unions that were likely to be involved were the Transport Workers, Workers Union, the Waterside Workers, Stormen and Packers Union, the Boilermakers Union, the Amalgamated Engineering Union and the Iron Workers Association. Um, and that became big news. That, were, that um, recommendation to the Queensland Trades and Labor Council made front page headlines on all of the newspapers in Queensland and around the country and even made news um, internationally. Um, the ban was proposed to affect the transport of materials, equipment and food to the oil, the oil drilling company. Um, 
And Arch Bevis, who was the secretary of the Transport Workers Union, was reported in the newspapers as saying that the Barrier Reef was one of the wonders of the world, but neither the state nor federal governments has done anything positive to protect this Australian heritage. It would be too late to oppose drilling for oil on the reef after a blowout. We want to oppose it before it starts. He said in that article, he did not want a repeat of the Santa Barbara disaster, which did irre irreparable damage to the coastline. And that was um, a terrible disaster off the coast of California, which resulted in massive damage to the coastline and, uh, you know, affecting, you know, tens of thousands of birds and, and other wildlife. And it just increased opposition to any um, drilling for oil on the reef. Um, yeah, so that was really how it started, but it was definitely because the environmental, the environmentalists involved had had an attitude of approaching the unions to get them involved um, in, their, in their campaign. And they were absolutely ecstatic uh, when this was reported um, in the news. Um, they, they appreciated actually, um, Bill, that despite all of their campaigning to build public support, the lobbying of politicians, the development of a scientific case, approaches to the Commonwealth Government to intervene, it was union threats of a black ban that actually proved to be instrumental. And John Boost, who was the environmental campaigner, said, it has taken us two and, two and a half years to find the weapon. This is it. So that idea of a black ban was, was absolutely instrumental. Well, that's exactly what we want to hear about here in, uh, on workers' power, that, uh, you know, collectivisation and, and um, you know, workers saying, no, we won't do that where it's uh, um, impacting um, the environment and... Uh, um, we we won't destroy it, you know. So it's a, it's a it's a, a, a you know that collective action, you know, whether it be a green band, black bands. Um, yes. You know, this one was called a blue band. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. So all, all all unions signed. I take it that all the unions signed up up to that. And uh, then what was the 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 next part of the next phase of the campaign? So what happened was um, that the Queensland Trades and Labor Council agreed to call, uh, the executive endorsed the recommendation from the Transport Workers Union, and then the Trades and Labor Council called a special meeting of all its affili affiliated unions and its dispute committee to discuss how they may be able to, you know, implement the ban. But this, but even just, the TWU making a recommendation and the union leaders, you know, uh, saying that it was likely that all of the unions would come on board with this, it actually began to have an effect within days. So on, uh, so that uh, recommendation, um, that, that was reported in the papers on the 6th of January, 1970. On the 13th of January, 1970, AMPOL recommended to JAPEX that it defer the start to oil drilling operations and uh, also decided to offer $5,000 towards the cost of holding an inquiry. 
Um, Arch Bevis, who, who, who I, I've said previously was the secretary of the Transport Workers Union, greeted uh, Ampol's uh, belated interest in the reef with scepticism and also questioned the effectiveness of a committee of inquiry, saying far too often committees go on but are not allowed to implement their recommendation recommendations. Committees have a habit of being hand-picked personnel who don't have any teeth. I just sort of think that's a lesson that's worth, you know, relearning these days as well. On the 16th of January, the papers reported that the Australian Federated Union of Locomotive Enginemen State Council had also decided to support the TWU's resolution. And as it was reported in the Courier-Mail, the union state division manager, Mr. F.E. Doyle, said yesterday his council's decision meant that Queensland Railway engine crews would refuse to haul any goods or materials in any way related to reef oil drilling. We believe people would not support the state government's action in exposing the reef to danger. On the contrary, they would support what the unions are trying to do. In fact, uh, the Trades and Labor Council received absolutely massive support for its stance. It received a huge number of encouraging and congratulatory letters. Um, I've, I've just recently had the privilege of being able to go through some archival material um, at the Friar Library at the, at the University of Queensland. And in fact, there's a whole box there that relates to the Labor Council and the issue of the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and it's it's just fantastic to read all of these, you know, these letters that have come in, all these resolutions from, you know, unions in other states, um, you know, uh, sort of federal sort of unions and so on, supporting the Labor Council's, um, you know, uh, decision. Um, the Federated Miscellaneous Workers Union of Australia uh, sent, sent a letter. The Postal Telecommunication Technicians Association Queensland branch supported the TLC and they moved a resolution that, uh, that the Queensland branch be authorised by Federal Council to use industrial action if necessary against public or private companies or government instrumentalities who attempt to drill for oil on or about the Great Barrier Reef, signed Merv Vining, who was the acti acting secretary. And, th and there was even a letter in there from an Ampol service station operator saying he applauded the move and enclosing 10 bucks, but wanting to keep his identity secret. So, you know, the TLC just received huge, huge support. The special, the special meeting of the Labor Council took place on the 21st of January and, as expected, a total black ban by all affiliated unions on oil drilling on the Great Barrier Reef was endorsed. And um, Judith Wright, the, uh, the poet and activist from the Wilderness Preservation Society, said in her book, Coral Battleground, that we were saved by the bell. In her words, the union action was spectacular and unprecedented. And later, Fred Whitby, who was the Trades and Labor Council secretary, told the New York Times in September 1970 
that protection of the reef is probably the most popular decision we have ever taken. So, yeah, it was really, you know, really, you know, really incredible action. And um, the interesting thing was at the time that the government and the companies didn't feel they could take any action to stop the black bands um, from taking place. Um, so this was, you know, um, pretty decisive as well. And that was because at the time the unions were very powerful and militant. Um, they had a lot of rank and file union member um, involvement. And in 1969, that actually smashed the anti-union laws, the penal, uh, the penal powers that were implemented to fine trade unions that took industrial action. There was a massive strike of about a million workers across Australia in 1969 to free Clary O'Shea, who was the secretary of the Victorian uh, Tramway Workers Union, who, who refused to um, pay any fines. So they were unable to stop um, bans if they were if they were implemented. And the, the Minister for Mines, Ron Cam, said, if trades unions want to deprive the people of Mackay of the money that these drillers would pay for their supplies, they can go ahead. These people are simply standing in the way of progress and they want Queensland to be the only state without offshore exploration. Uh, when Ampol called for Ampol subsequently um, called, you know, when Ampol called for JPEX to defer drilling, Ron Cam said, if the company concerned declines to go ahead with the project, that is its responsibility. I realise that it could not continue with this threat emanating from the unions. So he appreciated that actually the union action was probably going to prevent, you know, drilling from, from occurring. The jig was up. Pardon, the, pardon. Yeah, that's right. The, and, yeah, and, that's and so right. The, I mean, so yeah. The government of the day, um, like Joviev Peterson, and it would have been um, still pig iron Bob in, in federally, did they? Did no, they, it was, uh, yeah. So Joe, Joe, Joe had been elected in 1968. Um, not elected, actually. He became Premier in 1968. Um but federally, there was um, John Gorton was prime minister. Harold Holt um, had had been had previously been prime minister, and he was actually he was very sympathetic um, to the reef, and actually was a good mate of this environmentalist John Bust um, from Bengal Bay. But of course, he went missing while diving, and John Gorton became became Prime Minister. Um, John Gorton, you know, wasn't unaffected by the immense uh, opposition to drilling on the on the reef um, because the opposition was nationally. It wasn't, wasn't just in Queensland. It was an, an Australia-wide um, phenomenon. And he actually had made, you know, um, supportive sort of statements about opposing the 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 drilling of oil on the reef and um, and making the reef a national park. But 
uh, the Commonwealth government just didn't take any action. It was quite divided over the issue. And John John Gorton was a bit of a he was a bit of a lame duck, um, really. Um, and that so the Commonwealth government wasn't prepared to intervene and claim jurisdiction um, over over the reef. However, what the union's action did provoke was the proposal to set up a committee of inquiry. And um, this was put forward by the Commonwealth Government and eventually after much dragging of its feet, um, the Queensland Government sort of um, decided to, you know, become, uh, become involved. At that time, all, all but one of the six oil companies who had been awarded permits to explore and drill for oil agreed to suspend their operations during the inquiry. Mm. JAPEX did not, and that was because they'd actually spent a lot of money already in preparing for exploration and the rig, which was called the Navigator, was on its way from Texas. It was a converted US Navy vessel. And they wanted, JAPEX wanted Ampol to reimburse it for expenses. Again, Ampol's reply to JAPEX is, is very instructive. They said, in view of grave fears expressed by sections of the community that drilling constitute a th constitutes a threat to the Great Barrier Reef, it is our opinion now that industrial action will prevent the drilling of this offshore well by you when the rig arrives on site. So on the 25th of January, it was reported in the papers that the Repulse Bay project was likely to be abandoned. On the 14th of February, JAPEX announced that it would defer drilling in Repulse Bay and the contract with the navigator had been terminated the navigator eventually arrived in Brisbane on the 11th of March to wait for a new assignment, but the unions maintained a very watchful eye over this rig and restated their commitment to ban anything that was involved um, in drilling. And the Siemens Union State Branch demanded, actually demanded written assurances that the navigator was not to be used to drill for oil until uh, the commission of inquiry had been completed. Uh, the union state secretary, Jay Steele, said that until such an assurance was received, a black band placed on the ship would remain in force. Otherwise, the union could prevent the rig sailing by Brisbane tug crews refusing its service. So yeah, it had a really, um, you know, dramatic effect. The Commission of Inquiry uh, was elevated to become a Royal Commission and on the 29th of January, its composition was announced. As Arch Bevis from the TWU had said and predicted, the composition of it was completely biased. There was no environmental scientist or organisation represented as a commissioner. There was no funding for independent scientists to be brought in uh, by environmental organisations or scientific bodies um, as, a, as witnesses. 
And it was really only the ongoing campaigning and publicity that forced the Commonwealth Government's hand in this regard, and they ended up providing funding um, for the environmental groups to, to be able to present a case um, at the Royal Commission. The Commission took several years to hear all of the evidence and bring down its findings. When it did, in November 1974, the three commissioners were split between one who argued that all drilling should be postponed until research had been conducted, and two others who felt that drilling could go ahead with stringent, stringent conditions. So even the Royal Commission <laughs> wasn't necessarily going to stop drilling from taking place um, on the reef. And as Judith Wright, Wright uh, noted in her book, it seemed to us that the commissioners had too much accepted the view that their terms of reference were to state where and how the reef could be drilled, not whether it should be protected from drilling. I just think there are so many lessons in what happened back then that we can sort of take on, you know, today really there, there, there sure is and 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 the main one is that we always talk about here on workers power and and your union organizer always talks about it too if they're half decent and that's collectivizing you know and um you know the workers uh, you know standing standing uh, in solidarity with the community and and um protecting the reef it's it's a mm. uh, um, it's exactly what uh, workers can do when they stand up and fight back. All right, now, um, Alison, the uh, the campaign was, was yep. drawing to an end. What 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 was it that, uh, um, in the end, saved the reef? Well, um, it it really was um, the union action. So, what happened was. Um, in, 19, in 1972, the Whitlam, the Whitlam government was um, elected um, and Gough Whitlam had campaigned on the basis of protecting um, the reef and establishing a marine um, national park. In order to do that, he sort of had to establish that the Commonwealth government had jurisdiction over what happened offshore. And so in, in 1973, he enacted legislation to claim that federal jurisdiction. Well, the Senate decided to remove the sections of that legislation that related to mining and the states went absolutely berserk because they felt that their rights had been impinged and they ended up launching... Um, a case, um, an appeal in the High Court against uh, the legislation. And in fact, they didn't even wait for the High Court's ruling and they ignored Whitlam's legislation in deciding to unilaterally renew offshore drilling permits without consulting um, the Australian government. The only state that didn't do this was Queensland because it was held back by doing so by the trade union bans. Whitlam, in the end, did not wait for the High Court ruling uh, to come out. In mid-1975, he brought in Labor's legislation, enabling the declaration of a, a marine national park over the Great Barrier Reef and setting up an authority to advise the government on its, on its management. But then Whitlam was dismissed by the Governor-General 
um, in November 1975, and Labor, as we all know, lost that election, and Malcolm Fraser became Prime Minister. Not, not long after, the High Court did find against the states and ruled that the Commonwealth had jurisdiction over offshore areas um, and, it, and its um, resources below the low water mark. But the thing is that neither the Royal Commission really could ultimately protect the reef and even Whitlam's legislation, while it was a huge step forward, did not necessarily protect the reef from further exploitation at that time. Fraser was actually open to, you know, watering down the Commonwealth's rights. And as late as 1979, there was speculation about the potential for drilling and mining on the reef. And federal and state government ministers were going to meet to discuss a joint program of development and this meeting was expected to consider possible oil drilling and to consider guidelines to define areas where exploratory oil drilling would be allowed. The one constant which prevented drilling from going ahead was union power. The union said drilling would be banned despite the findings of any royal commission. Fred Whitby, the General Secretary of, Secretary of the Queensland Trades and Labor Council, told, told the New York Times then, the decision of the Commission won't alter our attitude a bit. When it was publicised that Fraser might allow it, the ACTU reconfirmed their commitment. The Courier Mail reported on the 16th of May 1979 that the ACTU had placed a total ban on oil drilling and mining operations on the Great Barrier Reef. And those bans would be effective immediately and the ACTU was also going to approach international unions to stop any overseas oil interests from drilling the reef. And then in 1981, the reef was declared a World Heritage Site and really drilling on the reef became, became a dead duck. So, you know, all, you know, there was a Royal Commission. It allowed for, you know, the, uh, the bringing of evidence to say why, you know, the reef, you know, shouldn't be drilled and, the, you know, the rationale for protecting it. Whitlam, you know, enacted legislation to try and give the Commonwealth Government control over what happened offshore. And then he put through, you know, the legislation to make um, the Great Barrier Reef a marine national park. But behind that, it was really the threats by unions to ban oil drilling and um, exploration on the reef that really, that really, you know, saved the reef. Um, and it is, it really is an incredible example. And, you know, to think that most of the reef would have been opened up to oil drilling, you know, if this, if this hadn't happened. A testament to... Uh uh, union power and workers' power, and uh, um, it, it shows that, that what uh, what they can do um, when they collectivise. So, oh, look, a, a, a fantastic um, story, and uh, um, and uh, thank you so much for coming on to um, our show and uh, telling us all about it. Um, we haven't. Uh, it, what, what have you got? One more? Uh, have you? Is there anything that we've? Uh, missed out that you any important points or uh, that you'd like the, to finish off with the, yeah well i i suppose I, the thing that i would like to say is that the reef is under threat again um 
you know, this time principally from uh, global warming. We've just had another bleaching episode. I mean, obviously the reef is in danger, but the reef is, can I say it, the canary in the coal mine. And it is, it is warning us about, you know, the future dangers of, of global warming. And we've already seen the devastation that has been wrought by bushfires and flooding over the last couple of years. I think the unions could play a key role in seeing our economy transformed into one that relies on, on clean and, you know, renewable energy but at the same time making sure that any of those workers that are involved in the fossil fuel industry are looked after and are no worse off than they are now. Um, and, you know, I think, yeah, of course there are differences between then um, and now. You know, the unions back then had very high coverage. They were very militant. They were taking um, strike action. Um, and taking industrial action frequently, it was really the hot, the, you know, a high point of union militancy. But actually, it it shows also the you know uh, that the need for the unions to campaign against the anti-union laws that prevent them from taking industrial action, but also about the importance of rebuilding the unions and for unions to use industrial action as a way to protect um, and extend their, their members' interests. So I think it's got a lot of really important lessons, um, you know, for, for today and for, you know, uh, the battle sort of against, against climate change uh, today. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, the, the right to strike is a, a big thing and, and we talk about it often here on... Yeah. Uh, workers' power, and this is a perfect example of what workers would do if the workers had the right to strike. Strike, absolutely. Um, it's got to be yeah. a key part, I think, of of, um, of of what the unions campaign for now is to to get to get rid of those constraining laws. Excellent. Well, thank you once again, Alison from Brisbane Labor History Association, uh, for coming on to Workers' Power. My pleasure, Bill. And welcome back to Workers Power here on Four Triple Z, where you're with Bill and Dan. Okay, and uh, that was, that concludes our interview with Alison. Uh, fantastic. Uh, sorry it took up so much time, but we thought it was just a, a fantastic um, interview and uh, highlights uh, the, um, the 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 strength that that workers um, can show when they um, stand up and fight back. Okay, we're going to move on because there, there's 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 two stories. One in particular that I've been itching to talk with you about, and I know Dan's uh, chuckling away at, 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 to, to themselves over here. Now, this, is, this comes from uh, the Amazon uh, over, in, uh, over in the... I think this is the Staten Island one, right? Now, so get this. This is the headline. Now, I got this from... I found a, 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 an excellent source of uh, labour news. It's called Labour 411. 
Um, so, yeah, it looks like uh, they, they cover Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, Philadelphia, and New York. And uh, they're making it easier to support a good jobs. Now, the headline it goes like this. Amazon asks NLRB, which is the, the, the that's the it's like the Fair Work Commission, uh, uh, you know, over in in, in in America, to overturn union victory because it says organisers. Now get this, handed out marijuana to workers. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great tactic. Now now we've got to uh, we've got to first off we've got to say that. Uh, it's legal, all right? F- fully legal. Uh, where where this story comes from, um, you know, uh, recre- recre- recreational use marijuana is uh, legal. So, for the union organizer to hand you a joint, it's the same as handing them a cigarette or a beer or a beer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or a hat. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, or, or, or a T-shirt, you know. It's just, you know, like something that union organisers give out. Oh, oh, you're on the picket line, you're having a good day. Or, oh, well, what? here, I have a joint, you know. Just just relax there a bit. Oh, oh, I thought, you know, like... And, and it was other another organiser that highlighted this story to uh, to me. And, um, and uh, yeah, they, they, they were like... They're quite jealous, those uh, other organisers might Maybe I'm a little bit jealous. It's a, it's a good way to organise workers. Uh, you know, sesh out the front after work, comrades. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we knock off at four twenty, isn't it? Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, four, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, four twenty meeting at four twenty. Yeah. So uh, look, uh, you know, look, what whatever it takes. Um, and uh, yeah, it, so it's uh, yeah, it was come from the the Staten Island uh, um, struggle that we've been reporting on uh, a lot here on Workers Power. So if you're a regular listener, you'll be all across this uh, uh, this this um, story where um, where Amazon workers at Staten Island have uh, they've organised and they now got a union. And uh, the story last week was there. The organiser, um, he, he, he was working, uh, Chris Smalls, and uh, the story was about how he wasn't going to wear suits. Nah, he's going to stick in, you know, working class clothes now that he's a big high-flying union executive. And, um, so, yeah, casual clothes and... Uh, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a casual joint on the picket line, you know. So, oh, I like this union, you know. So, uh, good on them, and uh, yeah, I hope they they keep up the the, the good fight because uh, they are going against the you know Amazon. The um, you know some some bad stories we're hearing from Amazon. Okay, now the next story that we wanted to talk about, and it, it, it's ending up going to be, look, let me let me find this, it is going to be a scallywag of the week story. And All that's, right, here you got, Bill. I got I got Starbucks. Oh yeah. All right, so, um, so, so the ten, 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 Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Right, so tensions flared during a meeting between Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz and workers in Long Beach, California, uh, last uh, Friday, uh, closing out a tumultuous week um, uh, 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 for the returning executive. 
Uh, Madison Hall, a 25-year-old barista and union organiser, says that the 68-year-old billionaire repeatedly bristled at their... At at and cut off their questions about Starbucks handling of the growing union movement within the company. And uh, the, the, this is what it, it comes back down to. Now, this is a quote from our scallywag, Howard Schultz. If you hate Starbucks so much, why don't you go somewhere else? Schultz told Hall, they recalled. You know that's that, you know like that that that's what the you, you know the Karens tell you, you know like uh, I'll go somewhere else. But Hall, who has been leading the unionisation effort at the second and Cavona store in Long Beach, was offered a last minute invitation to the gathering by their manager on Thursday evening. The event took place in a conference room in a building near the Long Beach airport and was pitched to them as. An opportunity to meet with senior level management. Uh, right, so yeah, yeah, Howard Schultz has, has come in there and, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, basically, you know, what was that? If you hate Starbucks so much, why don't you go somewhere else? Well, what an absolute grub this, this, uh, this uh, Howard Schultz has been all the way through this and, uh, you know, we we want to keep reporting on um, on on some of the good things that they're doing uh, over there uh, in Amazon, Starbucks, and the like. So, um, so yeah, yeah, good, good. Well, not good work to the workers, but uh, to Howard Schultz, you are a scallywag. Right. Well, that's about our show for the week. Uh, I've got a, we've got a couple of minutes. Um, sorry, we've been uh, too. There's there's other uh, stories that that we've missed. That uh, um, if you want to look it up, there's uh, there was um, a CFMEU have uh, have just done a, a media release in, in regarding the uh, the wave of insolvencies hitting the Queensland building industry. Uh, you can check that out on their Facebook page. There's also other stories that we missed. Oh, oh, there's the a Bunnings um, one. The Bunnings, the Bunnings one. <laughs> well, what what we might do is I'll hint on it now. But what we might do is we might report on that next week. So the community has a win against uh, Bunnings developer in Brunswick. Now that's a unionised Bunnings. So I know some of the workers in in that uh, in that uh, store. Uh, so maybe I can uh, I can get get a linked uh, interview or something. And also, just just lastly, we want to mention our comrades uh, from way down south, Worker and Parasite, uh, to release a new track. So uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll be playing it uh, on the episode after May Day, um, and they 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 get they want to do a, a live interview. So uh, uh, we we will organise. We will get get on to um, them and. Uh, chat with them about having a, 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 an interview but um, I think I've got the time but but, but check out this, this I, I love the correspondence that they send us that is amazing yeah attention <laughs> attention comrade Bill of 4ZZZ the party trusts you are as well as is possible in these precarious times the party also extends congratulation on the recent completion of the long awaited last quaker and plaster of Paris event as a proven and trusted comrades, the party authorises 
pre-release broadcast of Econ Sopra up to seven days prior to the designated public release date of the 6th of May. Please be advised early broadcast authorization will also be granted to um, uh, uh, Sedition, uh, our comrades uh, from 4ZZZ who play on, uh, who were on the radio 2 to 6 p.m. on Saturday mornings. I don't think I don't think we'll be up to see. Will, will, will you be up to see that? Are you up at two o'clock on Saturday morning? Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, we'll organise an interview. Really looking forward to playing that new track uh, uh, for you from um, Worker and Parasite. Okay, well that's that, that's about the the show that I, I've got for your lineup. Um, so th- thanks uh, to the Brisbane Labor History Association um, for that for that great story, um, and it was uh, it was a good story. Uh, thanks to for Dan for coming in, keeping me company, and and and, and, and laughing at the four twenty jokes. And <laughs> um, but that's that's it for us uh, for Workers' Power for this week and. Uh, Yeah, we will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.